Just a quick note to say that if this episode ever sounds a bit technically dodgy, for example, like it's perhaps been recorded remotely during lockdown, well, it has been. On with the show. Hello and welcome to Comics Books. I'm Lucy Dancer and for many years I've worked as a producer alongside a number of excellent comedians. I'm also a book obsessive who's always asking friends and strangers alike what they're reading. So, I thought I'd bring my two passions together and find out what do funny people read. I'm very excited about today's guest, an incisive and fresh voice in comedy. She's also an author and a political commentator seen on Channel 4 News. Last year, she won the prestigious New Act of the Year Award, and you can buy and stream her comedy specials, including Accidental Coconut and African in New York, on Next Up, Amazon Prime and Apple. Earlier this year, her debut book was published, a memoir called Through the Leopard's Gaze. It's Jambi McGrath. Hey! How are you? What have you been up to? Well, the thing is, I'm the kind of person that likes to keep busy, Mm -hmm. so I always have to have a project on the go. So I have been writing fiction, so I'm just about, I'm editing my first draft of my first fiction. Wow. Yeah, that's been quite amazing. And so I thought during lockdown, I would just keep myself busy that way because it's just too easy to just sort of sit down moping around, analysing the state of the world and just worried about the state of comedy and stuff. So I just thought I'm going to distract myself by writing. So I've uh, almost completed my first fiction. So you've written the whole book in lockdown <laughs> well that sounds uh, <laughs> the truth of the matter is that I have been researching this uh, for actually quite a long time okay okay well yes I mean I began writing just before lockdown and I haven't finished so you know you're making me feel you're making me feel <laughs> <laughs> less impressive <laughs> you know it um these things is is when you feel it. When you feel it, you can even write a whole book in verse or whatever. And sometimes you don't feel it. Sometimes I, I'm staring at uh, my computer and I'm like, I'm getting nothing. Have you been really disciplined about sitting down even when you don't feel like it? Yeah, I, I am. And sometimes I even, even like when I, because now I'm just editing it. Mm. I just, just go like, I've got nothing to give right now. And I'm just looking at the words and I'm like, just forcing myself to read it. And I'm like, oh. Because you see, I like to be, uh, I like to divide my time up uh, in the year mm. so that I know what I'm doing at different months, which sounds like diabolical. <laughs> so because I try, I try to write a new show every year to go to Edinburgh Festival. Yeah. So I usually divide my year into quarters. So the first quarter, when I come back from Edinburgh, I will uh, write a new show. So for, from uh, September until maybe December, I write a new show. And then from January, then I start writing some sort of writing project. And I would do that until maybe April and then start honing in the jokes for for, for the show, Mm. you know, coming on to Edinburgh. But because we didn't have that, so at this particular time, the the book wouldn't be nowhere near finished because I'll still be, I'll now be concentrating on the the show that I was meant to be doing uh, next month at the festival. What made you move from writing just comedy to writing uh, other types of of stuff, so books? Um, It was circumstance, really. Um, I wanted to write uh, this book since I was 15, because obviously a lot of stuff was happening to me at the time. But, uh, you know, when you're 15, uh, you don't have the discipline or even the ability to put down to paper what you're feeling. And also at the time, 
if I had written it then, it would have been a very different book because I, now I look back and so many things are very different than when I was uh, 15. Yeah. Um, so I wrote a little bit. I just took a pen and paper and I began writing it then. And then I, I wrote a bit and I, I showed it to a, a boy at the time I was <laughs> kind of seeing. And he hmm. said, oh, wow, this is amazing. And that was the end of that. And then I knew at the back of my mind, I would write a book. But the thought of writing a book is very, you know, is enormous. It's like saying I'm going to build a mansion one day. It sounds like something that is so far out of reach, but it's still there at the back of your mind. Yeah. But the thing that got me started was uh, when I was very angry, uh, when my father died. And I was really angry. I was angry at myself for not... um, speaking to him about all the things I was very angry about the everything mm. and uh, the only way I could cope with the anger was to uh to write about it what got you into reading I was always interested in books and the one thing that I really missed from my childhood was a lack of books because I I don't know I just found it interesting I like to get well lost in a world far away from my own mm. so um yeah, I just I just really liked stories, and the only books that were available to African children were I wouldn't say the best books, but you know we had obviously uh, the famous five, <laughs> and and a lot of um, a lot of Mills and Boone. Oh my god, I love them. I know so that's why I'm. <laughs> and the other books that they flooded the country with was James Hadley Chase. Have you heard of James Hadley Chase? No. Uh, is is similar to Milton Boone, except is is uh, is about how different ways of killing women. I know it's and you know at the time we used to read it, so it's, it's about crime. And it, in each of the book was always about uh, somehow a woman ended up dead. Wow. And yeah, it, it's it's really bizarre. And why is it that Africa should be flooded with such material? But that those are the only books that were available. So I used to read a lot. So and then somebody loaned me uh, Daniel Still really? again. I started reading things like yeah Daniel Still and stuff like that. So the reading was always there. But but uh, it's very interesting how w- when you've read all these books about romance, it just kinds and, and the romance was always you know all this dashing white man yeah. and all of this stuff. So all this girls growing up in Africa expecting to find their handsome white man because you know this is all we read so I mean literature in Africa is still very interesting but uh, yeah so so that that's the things that's how I got into reading and and a lot of us in school we used to trade in books so we would um, swap you know it was always swapping and stuff so there was a lot of bookworms but we had no books at school so I, I i yeah i missed greatly the opportunity to to read were there no sort of local authors uh there were local authors but the, 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 this is a thing people don't understand about colonialism colonialism teaches people to be ashamed and embarrassed of anything that is, is african mm. anything that is ethnic and therefore those books were never promoted in africa the, the local authors were never the only author that I'm aware of, and shamefully, I never read his work until now, is Ngogi Wathiongo, who is the world-famous Kenyan author. But even then, he, you would think his books would be in schools and all, you know. 
And then, of course, when I did literature, English literature, I, I read the set text were uh, the mayor of Casterbridge, uh, King Lear. Oh. And, uh, yeah, and Richard Wright. Uh, oh, I can't even remember uh, the book now. And an Indian one Ooh. by Babani Bhattacharya. So African authors, yeah, is a is a very weird mentality, and they still suffer from from that to this day, where literature is only celebrated if it comes. Like if you go to a bookshop in Kenya, mm. it's it's just embarrassing. You just see all of the titles that sort of would be in a London bookshop, except uh, that is missing is the um, is the African authors, and Africa has so many stories. And this is, I, I felt like I was in Wonderland when I was doing research for my memoir, just thinking, oh my God, I can't believe how rich the stories are. And yet these are not celebrated in Africa. Why aren't they celebrated in Africa? We are still suffering from, from the very colonial mentality. And I, I, um, the, the fiction that I'm writing is, is based on that. It's based in Kenya because I want the world to know just how rich these stories are because I was completely lost in this world. So the books you chose to talk about today, they're all yes. um, biographies or autobiographies. They are. Because, I, I mean, as well as fiction, I do like fiction, yeah. but I, I just, I, I'm, I seem to be attracted by, by this type of books. So when I read uh, Wild Swans by John Chang, mm. that book uh, did everything for me. I knew absolutely nothing about China. Mm-hmm. It it was basically like a, a history lesson about China, the history of China, but through the eyes of the participants or, or inhabitants of China. Yeah. And I love that book. And when I finished it, I said to myself, I will write a book like this one day. Mm. And uh, again, so that is the second time, you know, that thought just went, bang, I will write a book. And, but I knew I would like to write a book like this one day. A book that uh, told my personal story, but the, the wider history. But at the time, I didn't even know the wider history. I don't know why I, I, I thought that, that that I could do that, but I didn't even know the wider history at the time. Like I was saying, we don't have this information. So that made a big impact for me. I would say when I saw that you chosen that because it is it is way in my top books. It's it's one of the best books I've ever read. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it, it's so big. I think think a lot of people, I think it's one of those books that people keep on their bookshelf and they say, oh, I must read that. It's one of the ones I must read. And they don't necessarily think it's going to be that enjoyable a read. And I read it very young and I don't know what I expected. I think maybe I read it because I was quite young and I thought, oh, this is is a cool book to have read. I can tell everyone I've read the epic, even if I hate every word of it. Yeah. But just like you, it was my introduction to China. Yeah. And I would never, I don't think I would ever have read just a history book. And this is what I like. You know, you just get the real history because a lot of history is whitewashed. You know, it doesn't give you the full picture. Like the, the book I'm currently reading is nauseating because it's, it's written by a colonialist about Kenya. Mm. And the way they write is as though... You know, like he talks about the first, the first man to have lived in the city of Nairobi was this Mark somebody. And I'm like, uh-huh? What do you mean the first man to have lived in the city of Nairobi? Like, 
the Maasai and the Kikoyo were living there for you know a really long time. Is is so basically they see they see things like the 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 black lives are invisible. Mm. And it's it's quite infuriating. Obviously, I, I you know I, I learned quite a lot from it because they they give a lot of because at the time when um, you know when they were writing all all of this because they were in the know and uh, Africans were never in the know because they were never considered as human per se. Mm. And this is why I'm reading it, but I'm finding it quite nauseating. And now I I, I never really understood the depth of racism until I, I began reading all this material. And I it's just horrifying to see how how and I think yesterday watching read I don't know if you saw David Starkey what he said yes, about this. Yes, I was just gonna bring that up. Yeah, they all thought like David Starkey. Exactly yeah. the same. All these people just you know and to me they actually sound and they look really primitive speaking like that because it's like as though you're speaking about us as though we are trees. We can hear, we can read, we do read. And you are just so, so caught up in this world of self-importance that you don't actually see how ridiculous you are, you know, speaking of black people in such a way. And a lot of it is very barbaric, to be honest yeah. with you. It's, it's nauseating to read. And sometimes I keep saying to myself, maybe I won't read this. And this is just followed by the book that I was reading before that. The book I was reading just before that is uh, is uh, by uh, Chingosi Obioma. I don't know if you read any of his works. No, I haven't. Oh my god, you must! I mean, tell me your reading list. This uh, this podcast has really given me so many books to read, and um, yeah. I'm I'm always happy for more on my list. Oh god, yeah. do you know what that as as well of like world swans. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I didn't. I don't even know why I didn't put the fisherman on, on here. I saw the play, so I haven't read the fisherman. But it was adapted into a play at Trafalgar Studios with just two men in, and it was. Fan- I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, but this book is is. Um, oh my god! When I was reading it, I could feel the hairs on my skin crawling, and it's it's rare that you feel this way uh, with books. So, so so just to say what I was saying, so I, I went from reading the, the follow-up book, uh, which is The Orchestra of Minorities, yeah, um, which he which was also shortlisted for Man Booker Prize. Oh, wow. And he is a very confident writer. He's got such command of the language. That is, he is like many of us, he's probably his third language. But such command of the language that he's able to write so confidently. Uh, and so having come, come away from reading just such a book so rich in culture, so, it's so beautiful about the celebration of everything that is African, to just be steeped in the world of colonialist mentality is quite a shock to the system. But still, I benefit, I gain, I gain from all of this because I, it gives me sort of... Um, I, I can see, I can ex- examine this history from a different perspective. So, Wild Swans, I don't know, that was published, I think, in the UK. Um, but, so that's banned in China, still, like, although as of 2013 it was, and I have found nothing to suggest that it still isn't. Oh, Wild Swans, is it? Yeah, yeah. So, she can only visit still her family in China personally, with permission from mainland China. Um, right. Like I said, I can't find any confirmations of this past 2013. Um, right. At least as of 2013, Wild Swans was still banned in China because they didn't want 
that story told. You know, I, I, I didn't know that. But of course, you know, information is power and information can change the way people view other people. And of course, uh, you know, this with the Black Lives Matter movement, this is, you know, uh, and the, the sort of, I don't know, the highlighting of the problems of visibility for Black people in publishing is very prominent. What brought you to reading Kafir Boy? Again, it was just presented to me on, uh, you know, when you, you have a suggested reading list. Because sometimes deciding what to read next is quite difficult. Even when people recommend it, sometimes people recommend a book and you're like, whoa, 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 what the hell is this? <laughs> but that, again, just really put you into the place to see the brutality of apartheid in South Africa. Uh, so, so Kafia Boy, that's what it is by Mark Bathamani. Yeah, and, and it just immerses you into the frustration, the oppression, the selfishness of of the supremacists in South Africa. And it's very real because this is based on, it's not fiction, it's based on uh, their life experiences. And then you, it just... And I like the title. Well, well, I hate the title, but I like the title. I was like, Kafia Boy, what is this? And then, um, yeah, I absolutely loved it. it. You know, it just, again, illuminated what uh, apartheid was in South Africa. Although I read, uh, uh, what's his name, um, Trevor Noah's book. Trevor Noah's book is a, is a bit lighter yeah. on, on that, but Kafia Boy just takes you right into the depth of, of things. But then, of course, Kafia Boy was written way before Trevor Noah's book. A lot before, yeah. I think, um, I, I also thought, obviously, you know, Kafia Boy is, is, is dark and it's sad and it's shocking, but I also think it's a bit of a love letter to education. Yeah. And, you know, he, how he talks about sort of, A, that education and his mother's sort of insistence on education was was what helped him get to the point where he could even tell his story. Yeah. Um, let alone being able to tell it from a place of relative privilege now. Of course. I also thought it was a very kind book because in a way he he tears apart everyone. You know, he, he says, you know, these are the people doing the terrible things and this is how terrible it was and there's no excuses. But yeah. he also points out all the people from different countries and different races that stood by him yeah. and, and weren't a part of the problem, which I thought was was also a very helpful thing to do and a very generous thing to do. But but that's being a truthful person. Yeah. Because not everybody is horrible. So the systems are horrible. The systems put down were horrible. But the reason a lot of these brutalities are hidden from the general public is because there are very many good people who will not put up with that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my own journey, uh, looking at my own journey... There's been very many people who have been very kind, even even where 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 I'm doing uh, my comedy, mm-hmm. I've been supported by a lot of, I would say, white people who have encouraged me greatly. I would never have had the strength, certainly, to do the shows that I do without the white people that come and see it, and they just lend me their support. You know, my agents, they believe in me greatly. 
my husband is white. My um, um, John Fleming that really encouraged me to write the book because I, I saw him when I was so raw with emotion and we mm-hmm. met up. And, and he said, why don't you turn all this pain into, into shows? Write about this, you know, what, you know. And he's always, he's always the person that I ran to when I got a, a problem in sort of the comedy world and stuff like that. He's always there for me and he's genuine. And so there, you will always have people, and this is why you cannot put a whole group of people into one category. But by saying that, they, the system, again, was set up by supremacists. Yeah, and there are, like we were talking about David Starkey, how many people, how many people would identify with David Starkey, you know? <laughs> but how many white people would stand up against that, you know? Many, hopefully, many, many. I, I hope, I hope there would be many. So I think your um your final book choice, uh, the yeah. Pianist of Yamuk. Mm. That's see, that's another um biography autobiography uh, again a, a sort of what what people are calling an own voices book as well so someone who was there and someone who's telling their own country's story um mm-hmm. what about that book specifically is sort of has has popped it into your top three? Oh, it's everything yeah. it's uh the decisions again that are made by these people in certain countries people of power they decide so-and-so needs to go, let's go bomb that country. But it's these people's lives. These are real lives. When, when um, Katie Hopkins calls them a swarm of people, it's people like this who had a life, whose lives were fulfilled, and they have to flee their country because of everything that has been done to them. And again, it's, it's the same thing, is that people refuse to accept the role of their countries in causing these problems. I like the pianist of Yamuk because he's doing so hard not to get broken because it's very easy to get broken in an environment like that. Mm. And just shows the human resilience what is it that would keep him going? The piano kept him going. The singing kept him going. And people hung on to different things when facing all sorts of adversity, adversity that I have faced in my life, adversity that was faced by the women of my tribe. When there was no hope, they were all locked up and there was no way for them to escape. What was it that kept them going? There's got to be something that keeps people going. In this pianist of Yamuk, it was the music that kept them going. It is the music that reached the world and touched the world with his piano in the rubble, singing with all these children, giving children a purpose. So amongst all of this devastation, there's hope and people trying to find happiness, their little pockets of happiness in whatever way they would, in a similar way like my grandmother used to be, I, I think you might have seen this in my book, used to, to entertain all these people. Mm. And you, it's easy to forget that they were all in a concentration camp. They used to come and my grandmother telling them all these jokes and all of this, finding their pockets of happiness despite the hopelessness of their situation. And it's the same with the pianist of Yamuk. Pockets of happiness, I like that. Mm. 
congratulations because your book has been uh, optioned for television, right? Yes. That's Thank you. Very exciting. Do you know anything more? Is there anything more you can tell us or is it that's as far as I would like to tell you a lot, but I can't, as you can <sighs> imagine. Yes. I'll be patient then. Yes, but in due course, uh, hopefully, um, you know, there's, there's going to be more information coming out. But it's, it's, it's all very exciting. I just cannot wait. And again, you know, talking about people who believe in you, this, this, those producers, Neris and Charlie, uh, I, I just can't tell you how, what incredible humans they are. They, they, they just, again, these are the people Mark Bazambani would thank. Yeah. The people who see you, the people who feel you, the people who ru- put their hand out to help you cross the road or whatever. These are them. And um, I'm just so touched by, by all these people who believed in me and they know themselves because they have, they have given me, if you like, the fuel to keep going. And, and just to think, because I was, uh, before they contacted me, I decided that I'm not going to do shows on colonialism anymore because people are not interested on this stuff. And I thought I'm just doing myself no favors on talking about this. Uh, You know, it's it's almost defeatist uh, thinking that way. But then I think, who else is going to speak, you know? Who else? And they are giving a voice to the people that I, I, I wrote a blog called The Voiceless. Yeah, my grandmother and my mother and all those women who are voiceless, their voice was never heard. Except now, with this, my mother's voice will be heard. My grandmother's voice will be heard. And these people are making it possible for me. Well, I'm so glad they are, because honestly, your book is just like nothing I've read before and so unexpected. And I think um, a lot of people, that's how they access these stories and that's how they learn. And definitely for me, that's how I've I've learned a lot of things in my life. But particularly, I think your story has opened a world I didn't really know anything about. So hopefully uh, the TV show, when it comes out, will do that for a, a whole different range of people as well. Yeah, I hope so too. I really do. I really do. And I like that the fact that, uh, so my my, uh, my friend, she, she bought the book and she gave it to her mother. Her mother is in her 80s. And she absolutely loved the book. And she's, when she had it been optioned, she was like, oh, good, I can watch it then. Um, so it's nice that all these people, again, that, that she should tell her mother and her mother should say she can't wait to watch it on TV. Because oh, absolutely. I mean, this is going straight to my mom as soon as I, as soon as I finished. She, oh, thank you. Uh, we spent most of the time trading books back and forth. And this is definitely something that she, she won't have come across. But it, yeah. it's something she would have bought because the reason I have Kafir Boy is because my mum and dad bought it to read and then handed it on to me. Oh wow, that that's incredible. So um yeah, no, I think they'll love your book. It's definitely it's definitely up there, Ali. Before we go, Jambi, uh, always I like to know what someone's favourite bookshop is that they can recommend to our listeners. Uh, do you have one for us? Uh yes, I do have a little bookshop called the Pitsanga Bookshop. Pitsanga. Pitsanga, yeah. is is a quaint little bookshop and is where I had my first book signing. Oh. And she she was uh, very supportive and she likes supporting uh, local authors as well. So that, that is my favourite. But I also, I like supporting small bookshops. But I also want to say a uh, big up for um, 
foils who gave my book a whole shelf. Ooh. Yeah. Charing Cross, they gave my book a whole shelf, which yeah, was amazing. I walked yeah. past and I saw a whole bookshelf with my books on it, and I, it was the most incredible feeling. And I could have just knelt on that pavement and cried Aww. because I never thought that I could ever see anything like that in my whole entire life. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's been so amazing to talk to you today, Jambi. Well, thank you for having me. Um, hopefully, we'll talk again soon, but I will, um. I'll await the reading list you're going to send me. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm excited for it. Yes. Well, yeah. I look forward to it. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Comics Books. I hope you enjoyed it. In the show notes, you'll be able to find full listings of all the books we mentioned, as well as links to our featured independent bookshop. Have a great week, reading, laughing, and then reading some more. <laughs>